Yvette Brown from Awkwardness and Grace. I'm a white mom raising two black boys, and if you feel squeamish talking about race, you're not alone. Join me, parents, and professionals as we have conversations about race and the awkwardness and grace of it all. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Awkwardness and Grace podcast. Today, my guest is Michael. He's a dad of three school-aged children. So, Michael, you're an African-American father with three biracial kids. And I'm curious, when you think about them, what keeps you awake at night? For me, it's a little bit different because I'm a sort of a black gay dad. So I'm not, so I, I sort of feel like I sit in limbo, so I'm not part of the black community, I'm not part of the gay community. So I, I think I, I approach race a little bit differently than if I was, you know, a black heterosexual dad. And then, you know, and then kind of my thinking about race in a way is it's sort of like your, you know, race is about, is a way to separate people, a way to, you know, kind of a, a superiority you know, involves privilege and economics, social, educational, you know, it all comes, you're sort of part of this club, I think, if you're, if you're white and straight. So it, I think about race a little bit in those terms. Well, Michael, I know how invaluable it is to have a parent community, but to be in limbo between the gay community and the African-American community adds another layer of stress to an already difficult job. Can you elaborate a little bit more about your kids? When I think about my children and I think about keeping staying up at night, I think what concerns me the most is, you know, how do I best prepare my children for this world? You know, what kind of exposure, their education and so forth, how do I prepare them? to be in the world. You know, what expectations do I set? I don't want to squash their expectations, but there are some things that it would be very difficult for them to do in life. It's just hard. It's just hard. And they might get there, but that's how do I how do I set their expectations so to to give them motivation but also to not set them up for for disappointment. You touched on some really good points setting expectations, and creating motivation in hopes that our children don't get disappointed. To me, those are heartfelt desires of all parents. Is there anything specific you'd like to add concerning your biracial children? And then on a small level, I think, you know, when are they going to get done? You know, when are they going to you know, how can I protect them and when are they going to have the little, you know, almost indecencies of, you know, well, we don't let, you know, we don't really let black people come to our house or we don't, um, black people aren't allowed in our home or, or you're, you know, I could never date you because you're a, a black person or, you know, or something, whatever, whatever comes their way, you know, I worry a lot about that. So those are the sort of things that, that really keep me up at night worrying about them and and how to protect them as a parent. I I agree. There is a really tough balance to strike between 
allowing them to have a fulfilled childhood and exposing them to these ugly social constructs that they're going to be exposed to, basically, and helping them deal with that and navigate it. I I grew up in a middle-class, integrated community, and I didn't have this big experience of racism until probably a little bit in high school and then when I got out into the world. So when it stung, it really, it it scared me. Like, I, I remember as a kid going to a restaurant with my parents and we were all sitting there, we're having dinner, and there was this family next to us. They were a white family. And the, they had a little kid, probably three or four years old, and he kept saying, pointing at us and saying, Blackies, 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 look at the Blackies. And the parents did nothing to stop them. The people in the restaurant were very uncomfortable. We had eaten there many times, and they knew us. And my parents just sort of sat there frozen, trying to eat, trying to ignore it. And I just remember being scared. And I can remember that moment. I can see it all, like right now, you know, coming back to me. And so I worry about my kids, those moments. And they seem to do okay. You know, my, my kids seem to do okay with it. You know, we, we had an incident where we were in Amsterdam and we, um, on vacation, we came back and we had a really hard time getting to the country because my, you know, I wasn't really accused, but they were like, why did you go? What, you know, what kind of job do you have that allows you to go? You know, I had, did anyone touch your bed? It was almost as if I was a drug dealer and I bring back drugs. And my son is sitting there and he's trying to understand why we're kind of going through this extra level of scrutiny. I don't think he kind of got it at that point. Or, you know, there was another instance where, where he was, had a tantrum and someone called the police and surrounded us and accused me of kidnapping him because my son is light-skinned. You know, we had to go through this whole thing. And, and so, you know, so we've had instances, but I don't, but I always check in with him, and I, I don't think he's, so far that he's been scared like I was. And maybe part of it was that I check in with him, but my parents never thought to check in with him. Oh, so your parents, when they were in that situation in the restaurant, was there there was no discussion after you went home about that incident? No, no there's no discussion. They never mentioned it or talked about it or so there was no debriefing that made that made us feel okay. Did they ever talk to you about race in general? Not directly. We didn't have race discussions directly growing up. We you know, we, we you know, there was a discussion of stories, you know, but at the same time, we grew up in a very isolated, safe place. I mean, we, uh, you know, my dad was a professional. He was a cartographer. Uh, my mom was a you know, doctor of, of psychology. She was a doctor of psychology. She was one of the first African Americans to go to Brown. She got her master's at Harvard. And she, uh, my uncle was on the governor's cabinet. You know, it just wasn't, uh, we just didn't talk about it. I mean, it impacted us, but it wasn't, I, I don't know, my parents didn't talk about anything. Yes, I, I hear that a lot about that generation. What are things that you say to your children concerning and preparing them for the real world? 
Oh, we talk about race. We talk about being African-American. I talk to my kids, even though my kids are biracial, they, you know, I talk to them about, you know, the people will always identify them as African-American. So that they shouldn't think of themselves as being biracial or something, they should think of themselves as African-American. And they might be lighter skinned, but they will still be looked at as, as African-American. There's no past for them. You know, we talk a little bit about history. We talk a little bit about the leaders in history, but not not a lot. Um, you know, we talk about Martin Luther King. We talk about inequality. We talk about, um, you know, some of the sacrifices that we have to make or, what you know, some of the decisions that will be made for us or that we will make, you know, what feels comfortable to us. We talk a lot about living in San Francisco and how there's, there aren't many African Americans in San Francisco, you know. And then we watch a lot of movies. We read books on African American women. We uh, we watch a lot of movies. My kids watch Blackish, which they like a lot because it sort of you know mirrors this sort of African American middle class family and some of the the issues that they go through. And, they, and so that's uh, that's what we do. But I, I don't know that we have this direct conversation on racism all the time, but we talk about being black in America. In general, do they approach you about race or have there been situations where they've asked you or question asked you questions concerning race? No, I mean we talk about situations that come up. We talk about things like like we had an instance where we were in Rhode Island. We have a, a summer house in Rhode Island and when we bought our new house and moved into the neighbor been, one of the neighbors came up to Lucas, my son, and said, well, I, I, I'm the neighbor and I'd really like to meet the new neighbors. And so please tell your dad that when his boss comes, you know, when his boss comes to the house, that I'd like to meet them. And my son said, well, you know, that's my dad and my, uh, that's our house. So, you know, he owns the house. I think we talk about it enough that, he almost thought the person was ridiculous, and he sort of laughed at them that they would think that. I mean, it was a completely racist thing. He's not confused by his identity, and he doesn't have these sort of deep questions of it. You know, he's a 12-year-old. You know, why You know, why are people racist or sort of the big questions? He, I, I don't, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that I don't know how to talk to them about it in a way other than, you know, this is kind of the way the world works. Uh, this is what we have to be careful of, and you can do whatever you want to do. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I'm dealing with now is that my son sort of feels like we're not black enough as a family. You know, that's the thing that's kind of come up lately. And, and as he finds his identity and as he begins to hang out with more African-American kids, I mean, he has, a, you know, you know, all of his friends are pretty much African-American or biracial or Latino. He has a few white friends. I mean, we don't have a deep day-to-day -day conversation about it. We, you know, we talk about it in general or things come up and we talk about it. You know, maybe it's because of my upbringing, but we just don't have this day-to-day kind of -day in-depth conversation about race. It's interesting that you have mentioned that society will look at them as black. When I think about that, it kind of robs you of being able to identify in any way you wish to identify. Instead, the world is going to dictate for you, this is who you are and this is what our expectations are. 
I don't know if it's exclusively American or not, but it is an interesting thing. I've when I've talked to other people, the world identifies them instead of them identifying themselves. You know, it's taken me a long time personally to kind of figure this out. But what I have found as you know, as I have grown up and especially kind of going out into the world, is people will you know, always identify me as a black person. I mean, they're not, you know, we're not even human beings. We're just black. That means that we will feel and we will do all these things that society assigns, you know, black people for all these reasons. And, you know, I, I don't know that everyone subscribes to that and people try not to, but I think it is very American. But I think it, it happened. And I don't tell my kids that, you know, you're black we, I don't expect anything of you, or this, the world doesn't expect anything of you. But I think it would be not good for them to just think of them, you know, to think that the world is colorblind and that they can just kind of go out and the world will just completely accept them for who they are. I mean, the first impression that people will always have of them are as black people, and I, I think they have to be a little aware of it, you know, I, I don't know. It's just kind of my feeling because I just think that it's, it can be so harsh, um, you know, it can just be, so, you know, people can be so horrible to you. Even they can be, even unintentionally, just simply ignorant and say or do things that are offensive. For me, you know, I just, you know, I just have all this this weight that sits on me or, you know, from being black and having this experience of, you know, people thinking that I'm going to steal or something like that. You know, my kids went to preschool at the little school and they had a, 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 an evening program on race. You know, in San Francisco, you know, there are a lot of Asian Americans, white men who've married Asian women and they have children. And, you know, I, I thought that my was okay, but it wasn't that interesting because I, you know, I deal with race every day. But what was interesting to me is how many of these sort of white, you know, successful investment bankers, you know, it's sort of the light bulb went on that their children will face racism, like that they have never faced it in their lives. It never occurred to them. They are, they are now in this situation and they have these children who are Eurasian and they are like, like, oh my goodness, my kids are going to experience racism and they have no idea what it's like. I mean, it was just so surprising to have people stand up and say, I never thought about that uh, because I've never faced it. I can't even imagine how they would prepare themselves for that. A few weeks ago, I, I took this road trip with a really good friend of mine um, on the East Coast and she's a therapist, therapist and she's working with a group of of women on white fragility. And so they were all reading this book, White Fragility, and they were going to uh, talk about it in this group. And so on the trip, she said, do you mind if, you know, if we just listen to part of it on our way, because I, I have this meeting tomorrow and I have to make this presentation. So we listened to it on the way. And, it, um, you know, she said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, I think that they're sort of repeating the same theme in different ways through the book. But but I said, the, the thing about it is that it's, I understand that, you know, you know, you're in this situation that for what, you know, and white people are, you know, they don't realize that they're racist or that they're being racist. But the real 
institutionalized racism, to me at least, it's that it's great if people recognize it and they 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 change their behavior. But really, the problem is is that for African Americans, there there are no jobs. There are school systems are terrible for African Americans. So you have a whole you know generations of uneducated African Americans. You know, really can't get ahead. There aren't any jobs for them. You know, you look at living in San Francisco, where there are all these jobs in San Francisco, but there are very few jobs for African Americans. I mean, the unemployment rate is probably huge, and there's nothing being done to really address that. The African American schools don't have the resources that you know a school like like my kids go to, which you know has this active PTA and has a lot of resources. They just they just don't. You know, it's great that, you know, we can, you know, we can raise awareness, but that we still have a population of uneducated, unemployed black people. Even if people treat them better, they're still going to be uneducated and, and, you know, without any resources. Very true. I mean, white people can become aware of their racist actions, but if they don't take action, so they've made themselves feel better but the problem's not completely solved yet. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take a lot of focus to do that. If you were to give your children any word of hope after having some heavier conversations, what kind of things do you find are potentially hopeful for your children and your community? I I hope that you know, they will have their own life experiences and they will have a wonderful life and they certainly have more opportunity than I had. I, I think my kids are in a completely different world than what I would, that I grew up in. And I, I believe that within a certain context, they will have so much more opportunity than I will have. But it is within a certain context. It's not everywhere. If there's things that interest them, they will they will be able to do them and they will meet people and they will have relationships that I may not have had and they will have experiences that I don't have. But they, but it's not everywhere. You know, San Francisco is a prime example. When you look at all these tech companies, they're mostly, you know, white tech companies and they, there aren't any African-Americans or, or Latinos who work in the company, very small amount. And the people in these tech companies they, you know, they seem very racist sometimes. I mean, I just see in my own neighborhood because there are a lot of tech people in my neighborhood. They're just, you know, they they just don't understand people like who aren't them, who don't have their experience and their privilege. And you know, maybe because my kids have, you know, have the opportunity and might be able to go to good schools and things like that, they might fit in. But as African Americans, they're not, you know, they're not really part of that. People are cruel, and they say terrible things to you. I remember when I was in college, I had this, this you know, I had all these friends, and there was this nice woman, and uh, we used to talk all the time, and, you know, it was really nice, and we'd all hang out. And then one night, a friend of mine from New York, and he invited me to this party, and it was definitely sort of the Upper East Side, you know, blue blood sort of white party. And I was there, and I ran into this friend of mine, from school, this woman, and she looked at me and she said, well, what are you doing here? How did you get in here? And it was just like, you don't belong here. So it was really okay 
to see her in the school setting, but outside of that setting, when I stepped into this other world, she reminded me that I'm not part of this and I don't belong in this world. And the reason, and the thing about why these things are so important is I remember this. Like this happened 35 years ago. And I remember that I remember the night. I remember where we were standing. I remember what she was wearing. I remember what I was wearing. I mean, I just, it, it really stung. I think of you as a, a parent, which I admire in respect, and I think of the extra burden you have because you're African-American, and I think of the other parents I know that I also respect, and they simply do not have to think about anything like this. They're completely free of that. Makes me respect you more. No. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for gracing us with your story today. Please tune in next week for some more awkwardness and grace.